Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 235. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. This is another pandemic episode of the podcast, the ongoing pandemic of 2020, which I hope, if you're listening to this far in the future, is but a quaint memory in the distance. The big topic right now in the pandemic, of course, being um, late July, as this episode is going out, is how are we going to get the kids back to school? Because mom and dad need a break. Also, the kids need to be educated, of course. There are all sorts of complex questions with that. I have my thoughts on it. You guys, I'm sure, have your thoughts on it. Bottom line is, everybody needs to be educated, everybody needs to be safe, and it's just a, a very difficult time right now. I wonder how Birchwood School, where the Peanuts kids go, at least most of the time, except when they call it something else. I wonder how they would, you know, social distance. Charlie Brown, sadly, that wouldn't be a problem. Because uh, he always is sitting on that bench at lunchtime with his peanut butter sandwich by himself. So that wouldn't be a problem. And uh, there was that period where he was wearing a sack on his head. I wonder if that's kind of like a mask, you know? You can buy masks with Snoopy on them. I wonder what kind of masks the Peanuts kids would wear. If you have thoughts... And what kind of masks the various Peanuts characters would wear, let me know. I think maybe Schroeder's would have, like, musical notes on them, and maybe Linus would have some great philosopher on his mask or something. I don't know. If you have thoughts, or if you're artistic at all, even if you just aspire to be artistic, uh, I'm no critic, um, send me your thoughts, or if you dare, you know, draw me some pictures of what the characters would look like with their masks. Now, that could be kind of a fun thing to do in this pandemical time that we live in. Yeah, I get that this is an Atari podcast, but the Peanuts characters are often on my mind, so I thought I would share that. I have other stuff in my mind too, but I'm not going to share that. Nobody wants to hear that. So let's move on to this week's game. This week's game is Frog Pond from Atari 1982 with a big asterisk next to it because of course it was from Atari, but not really from Atari, since it is a one of those games lost in the ether. It was produced, evidently, but never, well, it was developed, but never released. We'll get more into more of that in a minute. It's It was so not released that I really couldn't even find a manual for it. Whenever I tried to search for it, I always got connected to manuals for games, uh, like this game called Frogs and Flies, I think. And there was another one I think was called Frog Bog, something like that, which evidently are very similar games, but not this game. I think I did actually find a manual at one point that was called Frog Pond, but when I tried to pull it up, I couldn't really see it, or I think when I did see it, I couldn't print it, and then I lost it, and so I don't have a manual to read for you today. But you know what? You really don't need one. This is a game for little kids. Literally all you do is you can move your little frog left or right, to position, position him, or her, we don't know, under where the flies are coming down from out of the sky. And then you push the fire button, and your frog hops and sticks out his tongue and catches the frog. That is, or catches the fly. That's literally all you're doing in this game. The only thing it would have been nice to have a manual for is, because uh, I don't know how this long this game goes. Um, I played around with it a little bit this morning. I was up over 100 points, and the game was still going. So... I don't know how the game ends. Um, if any of you happens to know how the game ends, let me know. And that is, I guess, how you play 
Frog Pond. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. Oh, hey, side note again. So last night, because we're in this time of trying to figure out, you know, how the kids can go back to school and, you know, how they can do that safely and, and get the education that they deserve and require, but to keep, uh, you know, students and staff and their families and friends and all that safe from the spreading coronavirus, which is on an uptick right now, I felt compelled to watch a movie about a kid trying to get out of school. I watched the 1986 classic Ferris Bueller's Day Off, introduced my kids to it, I don't know that they were all that impressed, actually. It's a pretty old movie for them. It's It might as well be ancient times. Uh, showing them a film from 86, they had a couple questions about the technology that was in it and so forth. But it, there, the reason I bring it up is there was a scene where Mr. Rooney, and I'm sure most of you know the movie, right? Mr. Rooney's the principal. He's trying to catch Ferris Bueller skipping school, and he goes to this pizza place. I guess his theory is it's a place where a lot of the high school kids hang out. So he goes there during the day. The place is packed which is weird. I guess I concluded that it's packed with college kids because they're young people, but it's the middle of school day, so presumably they're not high school kids. So he goes over, he sees a kid from behind dressed very similarly to how he thinks Ferris dresses, I guess, because he hasn't actually seen Ferris Bueller that day. By coincidence, this kid that he sees is dressed, is actually dressed very similar to how Ferris dressed that day. So he goes up to the, to the kid, um, still from behind and says something to the effect of your ass is mine the kid turns around it's a girl and she uh takes a big uh sip of cola through her straw and spits it at him it's a funny scene but i bring it up because the girl is standing at an arcade cabinet along with uh you're watching another girl playing the game kudos for that by the way because in the 80s i think it was generally assumed that only girl or only boys liked video games they didn't necessarily target them to girls, so kudos for having girls playing the, the arcade game. But I couldn't tell what the game was. I didn't go back and rewind it and try to see it, but when I was watching the scene, the way the camera p was positioned, I couldn't quite tell what the game was. You could see some of the colors on the, uh, the marquee, but you couldn't really see, at least I couldn't, what the game was. If any of you knows what that game was that they were playing, and I think there's another one beside them as well, let me know. By coincidence... There's another John Hughes movie, my maybe my favorite movie, no, not my favorite movie, maybe my second favorite movie of all time, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, where there's a, a scene in a, a bus station, uh, I think it's a bus station, where there are some prominent arcade cabinets as well. Uh, I don't know if John Hughes had a thing for arcade cabinets, or if it just happened to be a coincidence or what. But anyway, if you know what games they are, 
playing at this pizza place in Ferris Bueller. Let me know. Alright, what are we talking about? Oh right, Frog Pond. The Lost Games Wiki says that Frog Pond is a frog bog clone created by Nick Turner for the Atari 2600. During development, he wanted to add more features to Frog Pond, expanding it to 8K. Atari refused to spend the money, adding memory to a game that likely wouldn't sell well, and the game was cancelled. You can also download a ROM from the wiki, by the way. I played it on the flashback. For those keeping track, it's my continuing quest to play all of my Flashback 9 in alphabetical order. TheVideoGameProject.com, which is a site that uh, purports to look, uh, take a closer look at the prototypes that became your favorite games. They have a, a piece on unreleased Frog Pond Atari 2600 prototype. They observed the main concept is quite simple. You control a frog who must try and catch as many insects as possible with its tongue in a race to see how many points you can score. The game's subject and total lack of difficulty pretty much guaranteed that it was going to be aimed at small children, much like the developer's uh, Nick Turner's previous game, Demons to Diamonds. Uh, I played, of course, Demons to Diamonds. I never thought about it as being aimed at younger children. I know I was never... I never disliked Demons to Diamonds. I never loved it either. But now that I think about it, yeah, it is a pretty simple game. Probably aimed at small kids. So the video game project says that Frog Pond is an almost exact copy of Frogs and Flies, which is not a game that I have played. If any of you have played it, let me know what you think of it. They say that Turner claimed this was completely uh, complete coincidence, with neither company knowing what the other had been working on. Nick had even originally wanted to add more options in gameplay to the game, expanding it to 8K. Atari didn't want to spend the money because other children's titles didn't sell well. They refused to allocate the extra 4K, and Frog Pond was shelved. Nick left Atari shortly afterwards. Atari Protos agrees that the problem with children's games is that they're really not a lot of fun for adults to play, and Frog Pond is no exception. They also agree that it's almost an exact copy of Frog Bog, which was released for the 2600 as Frogs and Flies, under the M Network label. I also don't know, I don't know Frog Bog, I don't know Frogs and Flies, I don't know anything, man, but no frogs. Protoss says that according to Nick Turner, this is a complete coincidence. Neither company had any idea what the other was working on. He wanted to add more options. We've covered all this already. The gameplay is very simple. Every time you press the fire button, your frog jumps and shoots out his tongue. If your tongue hits an insect, you score points and your frog gets a pleasant snack. There are several different insects to catch, which are worth varying amounts of points. Oh, all right. So when I was playing a little bit, I don't know. I think I touch on this a little in the field report, but probably not as much as I should. When you catch a fly, you get one point. When you catch a moth, you get two points. And they do look a little different. I thought, I, I didn't know what was going on. Because the flies looked slightly, in my head, they looked slightly different each time. Fly, moth, mosquito, gnat, bee, dragonfly. Point values range from 1 to 32 points. I thought what was going on was you were seeing the flies. Your perspective on the fly was like the farther away, they just look like little dots. And then they get closer and they have you know, identifiable wings and stuff. Uh, turns out, no, what was really happening is you were just seeing different kinds of bugs. While the larger insects, Proto says, are slightly faster than the smaller ones, they still don't put up much fight. However, if you take too long to grab your bug, he'll fly away. If you miss six insects... Oh, okay, this is how the game ends. If you miss six insects, the sun sets and the game ends. Oh, alright, well that answers that. I guess I should have read this review before I played the game. Because I don't know how this thing ends. I think... I don't go this far in the field report, but before the field report, when I was playing, I was up over 100 points with no indication that the game was that the game was ending. So now I know if I had missed six insects in a row, the game would have ended. 
Even with two difficulty levels, Frog Pond never really gets very exciting. It lacks the difficulty and variety that makes players want to come back for more. Had uh, Atari allocated the extra memory, Frog Pond probably would have been a decent seller, at least with kids. Unfortunately, Atari's management at the time didn't want to take any risks, so Frog Pond was ultimately shelved. In an article about basically frog-related Atari games, right after reviewing Frogs and Flies, which they call a game for a great family-friendly console like the Atari 2600, and for which the uh, reviewer has fond memories, they move on to Frog Pond, and the first line is, nothing to see here, Let's so best move on. Frog Pond is similar to Frogs and Flies, but without the challenge. It is either unfinished or a game made ex- exclusively for children. Positives, the graphics are colorful and the insects are nicely animated. Too unfinished for a letter grade, but generally not recommended. All right, well, time to see for ourselves. After the break, hop on over to the bright green lily pad of fun that is the rest of this podcast. Ribbit, ribbit. Hoppity, hippity hop. It's time for Kermit the Frog. No, sorry. No Kermit the Frog in this one. No uh, singing bullfrog from Looney Tunes. We just have your uh, generic old frog uh, hanging out there in the frog pond. So uh, let's play Lord of the Flies. Loading, loading. Frog Pond, 1982. Uh, here we go. This game is simplicity in itself, right? It's for your, uh, if you have a niece or a nephew or one of your kids, four or five, you want to introduce them to Atari. This is a good one. Literally all you're doing, except maybe using the joystick to move left or right a little bit, is hitting the button to jump and catch a fly. That's it. That's the game. Henry's already pointed out that the uh, sound is pretty annoying. But, I will say that that little buzzing hum thing does make you think of flies, so it works uh, in that respect. I think the uh, I think the game looks good, the frog looks good, the swamp looks good, the flies are a little weird, but they're kind of like flies. Got the clouds in the sky, all very nice. Nick Turner, I think that's who it was, knew what he was doing, I guess. speaking role today. I couldn't find, as I've already mentioned in the episode, I couldn't find, well, I think I did find an instruction manual at one point, but I couldn't get it to come up on my screen or print it or anything, so I don't have an instruction manual. You don't need it to play the game, but like I was telling Henry earlier, I don't actually know how long this game goes. I've gotten up to um, like a hundred points, and the game's still going, so I'm not going to play that long today, but uh, the point is, I can't tell you how long this game goes. This appears to be the only objective. It's not like at some point the dragonflies start coming out, or the hummingbirds, or uh, the Cajun chefs who want to cook you, you know, Doc Hopper, with his, uh, 
French fried frog legs restaurants or something. Uh, this seems to be all that you do in this game. Point values uh, looks like basically two points per fly. Although I thought I saw a couple of times when they were up higher, I got a little bit more, a few more points. I'm not sure. Ribbity fun. Back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's X-E-G-S, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Hey, it's me, Bill, your host, the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. Do you enjoy the stories I write and read to you every week on this podcast, but you feel like you just need a break from my voice? I get it. My family does sometimes, too. Here's an option. Some of the stories from the show are now collected in a volume titled Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts. You can order it wherever you like to order books. I hope you'll check it out. Thanks. So here's the thing about Fraud Pond. I don't feel like being too critical of this game because, as we've already covered, even the, you know, the developer didn't think it was developed and wanted to do more. And it would have been kind of cool to see what he could have done with it with a few more K. You know, apparently we, we know now that as the game goes, the sun starts to set. And I like Atari games that do that sort of stuff with the backgrounds give you more of a, a realistic feel for the environment. And the game really does look nice. I mentioned the field report, how, how good the swamp looks. And you got the clouds in the sky, and the frog looks really good, and the insects are rendered well for 1982, you know? So it's a fun environment to be in. It would have been cool to see what else they could have done with it. I think what's here is fine. If you're four years old, being introduced to Atari games, I can see sitting there and making this little frog hop around. It'd be hilarious, right? But I'm about, you know, 10 plus times four years old. And, you know, I'm an old, cranky, grumpy old man. So it, it doesn't do much for me. But I also don't actively dislike it. It's just, you know, it's just not done. It's an underbaked quiche. How about that? Do people still eat quiche? I remember in the, uh, the 80s, quiche was a big deal. But I never hear about quiche anymore. Interesting. Hey, Ferg, you're probably listening. And you bake. I, I know that quiche isn't like a pastry, but you're, you're a cook and a baker. Tell me about quiche. Are people still eating this or not? So yeah, I, I don't want to be too harsh on this game. It just feels like it could have been something else. I am curious to check out Frogs and Flies and uh, Frog Bog, 
to see what's up with them. I'm actually, I'm literally making a note right now to go look for the ROMs for those. Also, in my reading, I saw mentioned Frogger 2, which is a game I already knew existed, but I've never actually played it. So I'm going to check those out. Get my frog-related itch scratched. Speaking of scratching an itch, it's story time. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled Pondcast. And I will warn you that I don't really know what this story is or where it was supposed to go, but where it went is kind of weird. So buckle up. The audio sting finished, and the host leaned into the microphone. You're listening to the Frog Podcast, part of the Drain the Swamp Network. Daryl Frog Pendergast, 34, hit paused on the recording as he queued up the voicemail for the next segment of the show. He hit resume. Now folks, Frog said, not sure he wanted to go down this road, but unable to stop himself. You know we've been doing the podcast for a lot of years, and in that time, well, we've made a few enemies. Back in the day, the podcast had a co-host. Turtle Bay Tuttle was my boy. We grew up together. College d- together. We were best men at each other's weddings and sat in the front row for each other's divorce trials. We were inseparable. Until we weren't. Frog sighed. The swamp is a dirty place, friends. And Turtle Bay? He's a dirty, dirty... Reptile? Amphibian? Whatever. Point is, it's the old song. The old... Hey, won't you play another Somebody Done Me Wrong song? And that somebody was Turtle Bay Tuttle. Now, I'm not going to rehash all that now. I've been over all that in past episodes. You longtime listeners will remember the famous... Uh, unfamous? Infamous? Whatever. Episode where Turtle walked out on us. Go back and listen if you want. Two ninety nine, I think. I could have pulled it from the list, but... You know my rule about looking stuff up. Anyway, I got no secrets from you people. So today I got a voicemail from Turtle. I was totally blown away. After all that crap went down, I pulled his number from my phone. Wiped it from my memory even. But he still has mine, I guess. I'm telling you this because, well, the no secrets thing. Also, he left the voicemail on the podcast phone line. So it's fair game for the show. I'm going to play it for you. For a little extra fun, I haven't even listened to it yet. Frog hit pause. Coughed. Took a sip of grapefruit seltzer, belched, sipped again, and restarted the recording. Here we go. Frog hit pause, belched again, restarted, and pulled up the voicemail. Here's what the podcast audience heard in a gravelly voice. Leap away, you turd. You sit all day, croak away. Suck down flies, turd boy. Frog turned off the voicemail. So, it was true. Frog really was the bigger man. No way would he leave an immature haiku voicemail like that. The waveforms on the recording software flattened. Silence ate up the seconds. Nope, no way would Frog ever stoop to childish jabs. Well, maybe just one. Frog leaned into the microphone. Okay, everybody, that was... I mean, I know Turtle and I didn't separate on the best terms, but come on. It's like... It's like... Hey, Turtle Tuttle. A hare could kick tortoise ass. You big dumb dummy. This was not Frog's finest work. Haiku was tricky. 
he rushed through the end parts of the show where he talks about social media and where to email him and save the recording. Once edited, he posted the thing and tried to focus on a hard reboot for the next episode. Until, a few days later, Frog opened the next episode of his podcast this way. He's back, friends. The turtle's head has emerged from his ass, I mean shell, and he dropped this little tuttle turd on the old voicemail. Warty McWartwart, your tongue is long, sticks way out. Most of you does not. Fraud ran right up to that line just before you lose your stuff, looked out over the edge into the black void where the anger and bile bubbles in a hot mess of stuff you shouldn't say, but surely will. The cool breeze of rationality still ruffled his corona-lengthened hair, but he ignored it, of course. He said, Go to hell, half-shell. Turtle, tortoise, terrapin. Turtle Bay fails life. Late that night, one final voicemail from Turtle Tuttle came in. Frog listened to it a bunch of times, sitting there in the dark. He almost didn't play it on the next episode, but, you know, no secrets, right? Tortoise beats the hare. When frogs barf, stomach hangs out. Frog not worth my time. Frog played the voicemail a few more times. How dare Turtle bring up the stomach thing again? Frog had said he was sorry about that. On the next recording, he shot back. Turtle lives long life. Empty nothing on half shell. Less than flies to me. After that, listeners to the Frog Pond cast waited patiently for weeks for another episode of the show that would never come. Meanwhile, Turtle started a new show with his buddies, Pup Dog and the Fish. Frog mostly just sat around in the dark. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Funny story. The last paragraph or two of the story you just heard were written as I was sitting there, having already read the rest of the story. The funny thing about computers is they only save, evidently, what they, they do save what you tell them to save. And sometimes they automatically save things. And other times they're like, no, we're not going to save that. So I was reading along, and suddenly the last couple paragraphs in the, of the story that I wrote weren't there. So I had to recreate them from memory on the fly. I hit pause on the recording, and I sat there and wrote the last couple paragraphs. So... Hopefully, they lived up to the weirdness that had come before. Just a little peek behind the curtain of producing a podcast. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the storytime theme. Hop on over to Apple Podcasts and deposit a five-star review on one of their virtual lily pads. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, look us up on Instagram. Don't forget, you can call us too. Leave a voicemail at 563-265-1978 with all your amphibian-related thoughts. Uh, I'm never going to answer the phone, but you can leave a message, and we can chat, sort of. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, for information and links to this show, Atari Bytes, and my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. You can also find out on that website about books that I've written, like Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and not thoughts, and see a few links to just some of the places that you can order those books. Please consider supporting the show financially by making a donation, rather becoming a subscriber on the Atari Bytes Patreon page over there at patreon.com. 
links in the show notes. If you do that, you might be able to get episodes early instead of waiting until Sunday to get them. You might be able to get bonus content, like, for example, video of the field reports that we do every week. There are also reviews of the cartoon series, Pac-Man the Ghostly Adventures, and who knows what other weirdness there is. So if you're a subscriber, you might get to see all that stuff. I'm terribly sorry. My thanks and pity to Michael Tyler, Jose Cazeta, Sean Courtney, and Aerospike for being subscribers right now. They are sticking with me, so if they can do it, you can do it. All right, next time on Atari Bytes. I had to walk across the room to find the list of games. Clearly, I'm not organized today, but we're playing a game called Frontline, which, if I have to guess, is either a war war game, battle war thing, or maybe a game based on the TV news program Frontline? I don't know. Could be one or the other. We'll find out next week. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.